you know, I say that, I assume that's true. No, it's not true. I'm sorry. The, the, the title of the sermon is All in the Family. Go sit down. Uh, <laughs> our children are all gone <laughs> to uh, VBS camp, so I'm sorry. I'm glad you're here. Let's pray together. Thank you, God that we gather together in this place and the hymns of faith and the stories of Scripture lead us to worship you and to wonder about you and to wonder what it means for us now to live in this world, in this day, this time, with these resources. What's it mean for us to be faithful to you? Grant us by the power of your Holy Spirit the capacity to be vulnerable in worship, to listen for your voice within and to respond with all that we have and are. In the name of the one who brings healing and life, Jesus Christ the Lord, amen. We must live within our limited resources. There's only so much to go around. These are sentiments that are heard virtually everywhere we turn. We hear it in politics, in government. We hear it in business. We hear it at church. We hear it at home. You heard your parents say it, and now you hear yourself saying it to your children. There is only so much we can do. Money doesn't grow on trees, and time is money. There's only so much to go around. There's a sense in which, for me uh, today, Jesus is kind of a bad role model. He doesn't live within his means. He is the Son of God, after all, and it is limitless, but it seems like Jesus always says yes. He never says no. He works. He meets needs. And in this scripture today, we find him in the new terminology, multitasking. He's got a miracle going within another miracle And yet, I think the passage is not only inviting us to understand what it means to expand our picture of what is possible, but also to expand our sense of what our priorities are with the resources that we've been given. What does God want us to do with what we have? What does the Holy One really care about and how are we to use our resources within the kingdom of God? In this passage, Matthew chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, we meet a man by the name of Jairus who surely will be nominated for father of the year in his day for he wants what's best for his daughter. What father doesn't want what's best for his daughter? At the 9 o'clock service, Peter and Edie Raymond brought beautiful little Penelope Grace. They want what's best for their daughter. 
They'll do whatever it takes to get their daughter the resources that she needs. And so Peter and Edie will follow and imitate the example that Jairus offered long ago, using whatever resource, using the fact that he's a synagogue leader and whatever strings he can pull to try to get his daughter what she needs. As we speak, we've got a whole group of children who are at vacation Bible school weekend. We've spared no expense to make that a safe and good and transforming moment. Just last week, Carol returned with our youth who went far away to have a really wonderful and transforming youth camp experience. And as you know, our church is in the midst of conversations right now about making a major renovation to the 1952 section of our building and renovating our children and youth space so that it can be the very best that it can be for our kids. What parent wouldn't want that for their son or daughter? Jairus' daughter's ill. She's near death. He pulls whatever strings he can. He comes and he begs Jesus, please just come by the house. Just touch her and she'll be healed. And Jesus has compassion and says, yes, I'll go. Score one for the father. But on their way, the trip is interrupted. There is a woman Amidst the crowd that follows alongside Jesus, there is an unnamed woman who is triply disenfranchised. First of all, she is a woman in a patriarchal society. There is no husband. There is no male. There is no father like Jairus who lives in high places and can advocate on her behalf. She's all alone, a woman in a man's world. Secondly, She is ceremonially and ritually unpure, impure. Her bleeding would make her be someone outside of the ritual purity required to be part of the community at that time. For 12 years, she has been outside. And thirdly, she is destitute. She has used all of her means, all of her means, to try to get her medical condition addressed, and she finds herself worse off than ever before. And yet, despite her hopeless situation, she clings to this hope that the Holy One cares for her. And that if she can just get close enough to touch, that's all she needs. So she doesn't presume to speak to Jesus. She doesn't get in his way. She lets him pass by. And as he passes, she touches his clothing. And something happens. This power flows from Jesus to this woman. And this three-time loser is healed. It's a beautiful picture. Until Jesus stops and turns. Amidst all the people, he asks, who touched me? Who, t- who, who, who touched my clothes? The disciples say, are you kidding? Look at all these people. We, they're all touching you. No, no, he said, this was different. Power came out 
from me. I need to know who touched my clothes. And you can just picture this woman trying to shrink back into the crowd for surely she assumes that she's in trouble yet again because her whole life has been one of trouble. And here she has finally found relief and she assumes Jesus is going to repossess that relief. He's going to be the repo man coming to take what she has received. But Jesus asks the question not to accuse, not to retrieve his power, but rather to complete the healing, to let her in on something far more transforming. And so finally she comes forward. And when she tells Jesus the whole story, Jesus is touched by her a second time. The first time he's literally touched by her. The second time he's touched by her faith. And he says to her, daughter, literally my daughter. What would it feel like to be alone in the world? To have no one to advocate for you. What would it feel like to be vulnerable and isolated and fearful and hear Jesus call you daughter, son? To recognize in that moment that you're not alone, that you're not forgotten. That you're not being punished, but rather you're in the family. You're part of the family. My, My daughter. My friend Nathan grew up on the island of Hawaii and tells a story from when he was a kid. He got mad at his parents one day. They had hurt his feelings in some way and he announced, I'm running away from home. He made a dramatic uh gesture of moving toward the front door, looking over his shoulder. I'm going to do it. I'm going to leave. Finally, he had no recourse but to open the door, walk out it, and slam the door behind him. He waited on the sidewalk, but his parents didn't follow. So he took off. He was gone all afternoon. But it started getting dark. He started getting hungry. He didn't know where to go. So he wandered back down his street walked by his house, hoping that someone might be outside looking for him, but no one. So we walked by a second time, this time whistling really loudly, hoping someone would notice. The third time he walked by, he picked up some pebbles and started chunking them at the windows, hoping that someone might come by. And finally, he couldn't stand it any longer. He walked up and peeked in the dining room window to see what was going on. His heart broke when he saw that the family was about to sit down to supper. And then he saw the dinner table. There was a place not only for his mother and his father and his brother, but a place had been set for him. They were waiting for him. He was in the family. And he was important. My daughter, your faith has made you well. Be healed of of your disease. That's the most beautiful story. Until someone shows up from Jairus' house, 
to bring the news. Your daughter's dead. There's no need to bother the teacher anymore. And I get the impression that there's some resentment in the message. As if to say, while Jesus was paying attention to this three-time loser, he was being prevented from attending to your daughter, and she's died. Here's the problem of limited resources. Money doesn't grow on trees, you know. Time is money. There's only so much, and there's only so far we can stretch it. It all sounds so rational. It all sounds so realistic. It's really kind of a universal story about fear. Fear that there's not enough to help both daughters. Jairus' 12-year-old daughter and Jesus' daughter, who for 12 years has been suffering. There's not enough for both. And we have to decide how to allocate our resources. But Jesus says to those who are fearful, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Only believe. In other words, Jairus, learn from this unnamed woman. Look at her faith and follow this. And so Jesus goes to the house of Jairus and the daughter and the scene with the weeping people and goes in and takes the girl by the hand and she rises and she walks and she eats and she's whole again. There's enough. I was awakened on Friday morning by a dream. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. It's one of those experiences that you've had before where you wake up and you know you're not going back to sleep. The dream had been something about being lost, about being with a group of people, but we didn't know quite where we were, and we were confused, and it was my job to, to lead the group, but I didn't really understand where we were. And as I lay in bed wide awake, the dream began to connect with the conversations that the church is having about our capital campaign. And it began to connect with this sermon text that I was going to have to write a sermon about that very day. And these two daughters. I'm very excited about the ideas that have been brought forth with regard to renovating our children's areas for our sons and daughters, both the ones we have now as well as those in the future. Little Penelope Grace, we dedicated her this morning, and I envision her with uh, her cohorts through the years in this new and renovated space. You know, we do what what it takes. We we do whatever our kids need to, to meet their needs. It's very exciting. And at the same time, I've been feeling something is amiss. There's some confusion that became clear to me in this dream and this convergence of text and dream and moment in the life of our church. And in some ways, it's nothing 
deeply new or profound, but it needs to be said aloud that every daughter and every son is important. We cannot say that in some way our children are more important than others. We can't imply in some way that our children count much more and there's only so much to go around so we'll take care of ours. Jairus' daughter got the healing and the blessing. But let us not also forget that Jesus' daughter so easily overlooked. She also got the healing and the blessing. That day, Jairus' daughter and Jesus' daughter were both valued, both lifted up, both healed, and one without the other just feels incomplete. Which is to say that as we love our own, we must love those on the margins. How do we do this? How do we manage our lives and our resources as we live into Jesus' reality that we're all in the family? Jairus' daughter and Jesus' daughter, we're all in the family. It doesn't mean that we never renovate or provide for our own. But as we walk toward the restoration of our space, we're being called to keep our eyes open. And to see the world and the situation differently. And to bear a different witness in this world. In a world that says, what's mine is mine and I'll keep it. While others can be left behind. In a world that says money and power can be concentrated in a few. Jesus opens our eyes to a new possibility. That as we see needs in the world, we'll move beyond our fears and we'll believe. Don't be afraid. Only believe. We'll believe that there's enough for all in the family. It's the way. There's no other way. Years ago at Emory University's graduation exercises, they offered an honorary degree to a man named Hugh Thompson. The graduation Service had already been going a little bit long. The speeches had been long and somewhat boring. And the students with their caps and gowns on were, kind of, were hot and tired and probably a little bit hungover. And they were just ready to go get to have lunch with their adoring parents. But they introduced Hugh Thompson, told a little bit about his story. He had been an Army helicopter pilot in Vietnam in 1968 with an army task force that had been assigned to go to this village of Mai Lai. The assignment was to make sure that there were no Viet Cong there. But when Thompson landed his helicopter, he noticed that there was a woman, a woman, civilian, who had been injured. So he marked her location with a green smoke bomb and left and came back with some resources, but when he landed there, he noticed that the woman who had been injured was now shot dead. He looked up just about that time to see another woman being sort of kicked and prodded by a soldier, and 
when she too was found to be alive, he shot her. Thompson got on the radio and said, hey, there's a lot of unnecessary killing going on here. Something ain't right. There's just bodies everywhere. It was about that time that Second Lieutenant William Cowley, some of you will remember his name, approached Thompson and said, get back in the chopper and mind your own business. Well, Thompson followed orders to a degree. He got back in his chopper, but he saw some soldiers pursuing ten civilians who were trying to flee for their lives into the forest. He lifted up his helicopter and then landed it again between the fleeing people and the soldiers. He got out of the helicopter and began to negotiate with these soldiers. Let me take them. Let me get them out of here. We'll get them out of here, they said. We've got a hand grenade. We'll get rid of them. He said, no, no, let let me take them. He loaded them onto the helicopter. As they loaded on, he went over to a ditch that had been filled with people who were now dead and just looked through the mass of humanity and found a, a baby that was still alive, picked up the baby and brought it with them. He went back to the headquarters and reported what he had seen. And he was much maligned and ignored. And some 30 years later, he was recognized by the government for his bravery. The students at Emory were now listening. As Hugh Thompson got up to the microphone, he said, listen, I just did what my parents taught me that Jesus said. To do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And suddenly these students, they forgot that they were hungry. They got quiet and tuned in. If you're a religious person, you might say, this is a a thin place. One of those places where you can see through to the other side. You can see the kingdom of heaven. They got it. That whether you're talking about North or South Vietnam or East Louisville or West Louisville or the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus or Jesus' daughter who for 12 years had had a medical problem We're all in the family. We all count. Like Jairus' community, the church has to discover again and again that with God, we don't have to be afraid, but only believe that there's enough for all of the family. Let's pray together. We will trust you, O God, to guide us, to show us. And we will not be afraid. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.